Hey there. The holidays are here, so it's good to know Fred Meyer can save you some time with free pickup on all your fresh favorites. Whether your traditions call for a hearty helping of juicy ham, ample apple pie, or Aunt Sue's legendary twice-stuffed stuffing, Fred Meyer has got you covered. So order for free pickup at fredmeyer.com or the app and get more time to get your holiday on when you grab your groceries curbside. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, the -the off-the-cuff exploration of everyday aha moments and life experiences. Let's get started with your host, author, speaker, provocateur, and a bit of a goofball, Mike Domish. Welcome to another episode here. So excited to tell you about today's guest, a friend, a Hall of Fame speaker. And for those of you go, there's a Hall of Fame for speaking? Uh, yes, there is. The National Speakers Association has what's called the CPAE, and it is the Hall of Fame. It is the elite of the elite in the world. Four or five people go in every year. Brad is one of those few people in the world who is in the Hall of Fame for speaking. He is a humorist. Now, I know some people hear the word humorist and they think, does he just tell jokes? What does that mean? No, it means that he tells stories also along the way with powerful messages. Really sends home some important themes. Brad, let's get right to it. Uh, I'm just so thrilled because whenever I get to have a friend on, it's fun. So thanks for joining us here today. Well, good morning. Good morning. Okay, the Hall of Fame is funny because I, I used to tell my clients that until uh, they used to have it in an introduction. And I'm telling you, 95% of the people would interrupt what I read to them and said, is there really a Hall of Fame? <laughs> Which, of course, makes me look even more dorky than I am. That's out. <laughs> oh, you did take it out? Yeah. <laughs> no one knows what it is anyway. And if you have to explain it, it's kind of sad. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's true, right? Before you come on, you walk on stage and go, you don't believe I'm in the Hall of Fame, do you? Yeah, I know. I know. And you're right. There isn't one. You're right. There's no Cooperstown. Yeah, there's no building. Right. But but it is real. I mean, and it's very, and in our industry, it's highly, highly regarded and respected. And it's a big deal to get in. That means your peers believe that you perform at an exceptional level uh, in this industry. I mean, the 0.1%. Uh, and that's incredible. So it is an inc- it's a great compliment to what you do in the world. Well, you're very kind. I'm checking my clock to see. Um, it turns out you're going to be in it soon. I don't know when, but I know it's happening. Oh, well, that's... Matter of time, mister. <laughs> that's very kind of you. I appreciate could that. Be, I could be in a second hand <laughs> or the minute hand. Probably not you know, hours. Maybe hours. You're only going to get me into trouble with that statement. That's all that's going to happen. So. Well, I, yeah, to be fair, I don't have any secret knowledge, but I know you're going to be in one day. That's very kind of you. I, I do appreciate that. Brad, for everyone listening right now and for those watching, most people are listening, but for many of you know, our one-on-ones are almost always on video so you can watch this. And Brad is, is funny just period, whether you're listening or watching. Oh, can you explain what you do? What, what is your mission in life and how you share that on stage? My mission in life is to have enough money to uh, go to Applebee's regularly. I'm kidding. All right, so yeah, I, I, you're, you're right in that I, I, I have been a humorist in the past all gone. I'm very serious now. Um, and let me explain. It, it used to be that I started out in entertainment. So your only job as an entertainer is to, yeah, entertain. Um, and then uh, that morphed through a whole thing. But now I'm 52 and I kind of feel like I've finally grown up. And I, I consider myself a speaker, period, just a speaker. And then if they ask me what kind, I say, well, I'm a motivational speaker. 
Then if they ask me what kind, I say, well, I'm kind of funny. But um, I've learned that if I focus on the funny too much, I pull away from what I'm trying to do. And here comes the answer to your question, which is I feel a little bit like I'm a professional, upbeat person. That I have a little bit extra of that gene, whatever it is, and I share that with my folks. And I also feel like I finally believe um, in something strong, which is all of us have some a greater ability to create positive change in others than we think. And that was true with me, and I think it's true with people in my audiences, and you know, it's just true, period. So one of the tools I use to deliver that is humor, but humor is not my product. I love that. It's, it's a, a tool. tool. It's a medium. It's just like when we talk about one's unique ability and, and that's that one thing you have to share with this world, that gift you were given, that talent you were given that you could live 24-7. And people hear about speakers and they think, oh, well, it's speaking. No, no, that's the medium. <laughs> that, that's all it is. I could do it by being on a TV show, being interviewed. I can share my unique ability. I don't need to be on a stage. It could be that I could do it in writing. So it's not even the spoken word. It's our unique ability. What do you think is yours? What's that one thing that you do share with the world that you could do 24-7? You're exceptional at it. People would want to learn from you how to do it. Gosh, that's a deep question. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, I'm pretty good at standing in front of an audience, and that's a, uh, it's a skill, a unique ability. Yeah, I guess so, but... Um, I'm not sure if it was unique for me. It, it was a skill that I honed over almost 30 years. It takes a lot of time to get that. All right, so I'm going to I'm going to push it a little farther. Push the envelope Good. a little farther there. So this is something that was probably in you as a child. Was in you today. It exists in you when you're not on stage. So if you're with your family on vacation, this talent is in you. It just shows itself a different way. Um, I will give you mine. Mine is to create ahas that uncover discoveries. So I've always loved watching the audience have the aha moment. It's what drives me. It's why we created the aha center recently because I love that high. If I'm on a family vacation, I get a high watching the excursions I created for everyone, watching them have aha moments themselves, my children, my family, more so than my own experience maybe in that moment. Uh, that's how I'm written. I'm wired. Now, some people go, well, you should be in the moment for you. I get that, but this is how I'm wired. So that's my unique ability. So if you're on that stage and you were going to share, what's the message that would be your most authentic self that would come out? Or what do you look for in the experience while you're sharing? Yeah, this is going to sound um, crazy, especially after you had such a uh, fantastic statement of being just now. I don't think I have one like that. You know, I, I feel like I'm good at connecting with people. I really like to make people laugh and people feel comfortable around me and each other. But I, I, unlike you, I don't think I have that mission. I wish I did. I'm gonna, I am gonna. don't feel let me steal yours if it's copyrighted. And <laughs> that's right. It's <laughs> not that's copyrighted awesome. or trademarked. I'm in. Well, for anyone listening thinking, geez, I don't know what mine is either. I, to be fair, I learned this from the book Unique Ability. So it teaches you how to see what, what is your separator, what's your differentiator within you. And it's a super quick read. So if you're ever interested, that's a great, great book about that. So, so where I would love to go, Brad, since you said, hey, I'm not sure what mine is. I want to explore your life because I think it will reveal it. And I'm not saying we're trying to even get there, but I think it reveals your uniqueness and that you've done some unique approaches to parenting, to living life. And I want to go there. You took your family to Mexico. 
not for a vacation, but to live for a year purely for the experience. And your children were in an age where they knew what was happening. This isn't like I had an infant and they, it was easy because they didn't know the difference of where they were. Your kids were in school, they were in sports, they were in activities. Can you tell us a little bit about, one, how you made the choice, what drove you there, you and your partner, uh, to deciding to do that? Yeah, so we did go, and it, it's been six years, so that sort of kills me because it's always felt like the biggest thing I've ever done, and now it feels like, yeah, that thing is a long time ago. But um, what happened is Kim and I were talking about it. My wife is Kim. Uh, we were talking about what that might be like, and we'd seen other people do similar things for sure, and so I had role models. We didn't invent this. And uh, we, we thought it was kind of a good idea, but we hadn't really decided. So we were—I remember exactly where we were walking in the state park, and we had both admitted to each other, "That scares the crap out of me." <laughs> yeah, it scares the crap out of me too. And then we were stuck, because once you admit it's scary, and you don't go, you're—that doesn't feel good. So you, you're like, "Oh no, now we're going." The reason we wanted to go is I think Kim and I both wanted an adventure for ourselves. We were just kind of bored. You know, at some point you start out as a young adult and everything's so exciting and then you have kids and everything's new and exciting and then you're like, uh, I don't know what's next. So that was cool. And then, of course, I, I, I felt and still feel that Spanish is such an important language in America and, it, you know, seems to increase every minute. And so wouldn't we want our kids to have that access to language more than you can get from high school Spanish, you know, what would it be like if you actually lived in a Spanish-speaking country? So that was it. It wasn't super deep. Our kids were old enough to know what was going on, but happily, they weren't old enough because if they would have known how hard it was going to be and how crappy it was going to be and how difficult sometimes and exhausting, and if Kim and I would have known, I'm I'm not sure we would have gone. I love that that honesty, that... Had you known what you were going to run into, but you're thrilled you went. You've said that. I mean, you and I have talked about it. Yeah. The, the experience has been amazing, but you might not have gone. It would have been, they would have taken the scare factor to a completely different level of fear, maybe, versus scare. Well, that's funny because we've talked to um, my kids and other kids, and I, my one of my favorite questions uh, in life and at cocktail parties, so it's both an interesting philosophy and a great cocktail party conversation, is wh- what would you say – Mike, if you could go back in time and talk to a younger version of you. And so if you ask my kids, what would you say if you went back to the a younger version of them before they left to Mexico? What would you warn them or advise them or teach them? And and they all say, I wouldn't tell them anything because then they wouldn't go. It'd be terrified. I wouldn't. <laughs> why would you tell anybody how hard that's going to be? And let, let me explain. Like, like pick, in case you have trouble picturing this, picture this. First day of school, that's pretty stressful for any kid. But now picture you're going into a, a school where you look totally different because my kids are blonde and they're surrounded by all these beautiful dark hair, dark eye kids. Um, then uh, they can't understand a single word of what's happening because the culture is different. They, just like right, your how kids you did line not, up. For everyone listening, your kids did not learn Spanish before they went to Mexico. So this no. Was, this was a truly even, a cold turkey experience, right? They barely knew hola. And we, and we were trying to teach them. Kim and I were like, hey, let's listen to these tapes in the car. Let's listen to this. Let's go to Spanish classes. And they all were un, were convinced that that was stupid because they're kids, right? right they're right. They're not great at we're, seeing We're the just future, as bad as is. adults. We're like, oh, I'll figure it out when I get there. And, <laughs> you know, we, we procrastinate. Ah. Uh, yeah, but like, just picture a middle. Oh, oh, what would make all this 
fear worse if you're in middle school and you feel like everyone's staring at you. So, you know, like that's a and you don't know from, what they're saying about you, right? And you wonder, like, if you if if middle school kids are in are looking around, they think everyone's talking about them anyway. But if you can't understand them, you're positive they're totally talking about me. So um, their advice to themselves would never go back and tell them that. And then, and for Kim and I as adults, it was pretty hard to see your kids suffer because for a, it took about a semester for them. They were really – it was hard. Like, I mean really hard. Did you come then, close to uh, quitting the experiment? No. Okay. Because um, – no, we kind of felt like we were in – I don't know. Maybe we just committed. We knew it was a year. It was one school year. We could have done it I guess. At one point – our eldest um, middle school kid said, I, you know, I want to I wanna go home. And then we're like, yeah, but that's not going to happen. And if you do that, you'll feel crappy about yourself forever because you just couldn't hack it. So let's pull up your big boy pants. Okay, she's a girl. Pull up your big girl pants and figure it out. And, and she did. She, they, they all did great. And by the end of the year, all of them had um, – a ridiculous uh, ability with the language but then equally was I didn't realize how important it was equally important was the culture Mexican schools are different from American schools and individual schools all over the globe are different from the ones right next door so they had to figure out this freaking school and they did so you know that's and that's a big deal you do that in one year plus you learn Spanish that's a big thing well I think for everyone listening I think it's beautiful lesson of what could I dive into that I will not give myself an out for a, this long period of time? So I can't jump out after a month because I don't like it. I'm going to give myself this long period of time and I commit to full commitment. I mean, that could be true in our businesses. That could be true in our personal lives where I go full in here and give it everything I've got. And when it's at its hardest, I've promised myself this time frame. Now, maybe after that time frame, okay, this isn't for me, but I commit into this time frame 100%. And that's what you did. You had full dedication. As parents, you were fully dedicated to this lesson. <laughs> or yeah, we were idiots, possibly, but yeah, we did. <laughs> Which is cool. Or, and also, to be honest, it's like you know, we can make this into a metaphor into life, but you get so focused on what's in front of you that day that you don't have to look at the big global picture. So, for example, uh, getting a dishwasher fixed, or or uh, not a we never had a, a we did have laundry. Getting a clothes washer fixed that's a complicated thing if your Spanish is lame and uh, trying to get internet plugged in that took like a month and a half and uh, like these tiny things like how can we figure this one thing out at school that we don't understand that's kind of what our day was as opposed to oh should we go home right that, it, we were just kind of on this one little problem and would that be if I were to say where the top three things you learned is how we can make small issues such blown up issues was that to take that in perspective since that time that, oh, what am I getting all frazzled about? I know this is not that big of a deal after everything I've experienced. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a great question. When you came back to U.S. society, did you quickly fall back into the traps? Yeah. Like it took around nine seconds. Okay. I, see, I love that honesty. I think that's really important. Yeah. I, I like Before we left, we thought we're going to give this – dream to our kids is going to change them forever and kids are kids and they're very resilient which is great and kind of a pain in the ass because that means they're resilient back to the way things were they go through something difficult they jump back very quickly also 
so, so the other side is that that means they can go learn Spanish in a Mexican school. That resiliency is fantastic, but bouncing back isn't something we had predicted. Well, and I, I think, and you've bounced back, it sounds like. Yeah. You fell right yeah. back into the traps too. Yeah. Yeah, which is, I think that's really important for all of us to think about is that just because I go have this experience doesn't mean I'm a different human being when I return back to where I am. I'm still the same human being back in the culture that I existed in before. So are there lessons I can take from this experience? Is there something I can use from this experience? Because in your case, you didn't do it again. Like some people will do this and in five years they go to another country. Are you looking at doing it again? Yeah, when our kids graduate from high school. Right. uh, So it's been a while. So in two more years, we're going to be empty nesters. And Kim and I are thinking, well, yeah, let's go somewhere. It, not to move, but to go spend six months or 12 months there and six months or 12 months there or three months there, in, including in the States. Maybe it's go live in Manhattan for six months or something. Come be my neighbor here in Wisconsin. Boom. So, yeah, we we want to do that. But, you know, it was grueling. It, well, it sounds I'm like just, it. I'm so glad I did it. But there's a little – it's very lonely in a lot of ways if you don't know a language because we, we couldn't have this type of conversation I got really good at bad Spanish. So I left with no Spanish. I didn't know how to speak Spanish. And I got pretty good because I was forced into it because I was the dad and I was the, you know, you're kind of stuck if your kids are hungry and you got to figure out food. You start making a fool out of yourself quickly. So um, I got good at bad Spanish, but I'm not good at Spanish. I'm horrible at Spanish. No one, no Spanish speaker would ever want to hear me and go, oh, fantastic, use of grammar. (laughs) Right, but you've survived. That's the key. You figured out how to survive. Do you share any of this from in, from stage? Are there lessons that you like to share? I I used to. Um, that's a good. Uh, it'd be fun to look at, at it again. I <laughs> I would occasionally fly up. So I I worked while I was in Mexico less frequently than I do now, but I would still fly up from Mexico to do a date in the states, and um, I'd forgotten how crazy that sounds when you if you say to an audience or even just people as you're getting ready to go on. Yeah, I just came from Mexico where we're, I'm living there. Either, what? what? Right. Oh, yeah. So I started talking about that a little bit, like what's happening and what it means and why I'm doing that. And um, But I haven't done it kind of with this vision of six years in the future looking back. And that'd be pretty fun. That's cool. Would so, you like to hear some of the wisdom? Yeah, I would love to hear the wisdom. I was hoping you'd ask. All right. So this, I think, totally applies to people who have not gone to Mexico. That's all of us, right? Right. Well, actually, we, Mexico, there are listeners from around the world, so it's possible. But from any country oh, where you're not Well, used I to meant, yet. like, you don't have to go live in a place with a different culture and language to learn this. Right. What I learned is be, uh, my priorities changed while I was there. I was not working as much. So, I, I, like, I did not spend as much time in my home office at my computer. I did not spend as much time on the phone. I just did not spend as much time. That means all – I have a core portion of my business. We all do. For me, that's more or less when people call me, I answer the phone and say, yes, I'd love to go, and I go speak. And then I make sure that audience is happy, that organization's happy, and then I come come back and do it again. That's my core business. And I, I did that, but I did very little of the marginal stuff. And there's a lot of marginal stuff in all of our lives. And I learned after a year, that's fine. <laughs> it made, no difference or like a microscopic difference. All the things I did not do did not have a cost for me. I didn't fall behind. I didn't do anything. So you focused I, on I, your gift and let the other stuff that you thought you had to do go 
and it didn't impact the gift giving at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which I think is beautiful. I think it's, I, I went through the same thing about a year and a half ago where I said, I'm going to stop doing everything that's not my unique ability. Let the people who are good at that do that. And if we can't do it, like there's just too much going on, then obviously why are we doing it in the first place? Like if that's not a priority, why are we doing it in the first place? So you came back and just let go of that stuff and did not start diving back into it. Well, I, I, I do more marginal stuff now than I did then, but I do way less than I did before Mexico. Right. Well, and, and I think it's not just your unique gift or however you want to phrase it. I think it's important, especially if, you, if you're able to be good at your core business, you, it's got to be stuff you're interested in. So forget if it, I don't care if I'm good at it. If I, if I just don't like it, I don't want to be doing it. And, and so now I'm more willing than before to say, all right, I could do this. It would probably be have some marginal benefit for my business, and I'm good at it. Oh, wait, I hate it. I'm not doing it. Yeah. So you got to have fun. Yeah. Yeah, which I think is so in line with your brand. I mean, ironically, that's, that's so much your brand, right? Let's have fun with this. Let's have fun with tough topics. Let's have fun with, you know, life choices. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's cool. That's what now, Brad, someone listening could think he does not sound like everything's planned out, that everything's intentional, <laughs> that <laughs> it sounds very like this guy lives ad lib. Um, what? How is that possible? So, and knowing that I've seen you script it versus ad libbed, and we've talked about this, you and I've talked about this before. I've always thought you are your greatest gift ad lib. And the, the more that this interview goes on, I also think, I think that's true of your life. Like yeah. your life is at its best ad-libbed. No, no, I don't mean doesn't have a plan that you, you're at your best ad-libbing life. That doesn't mean you don't have a plan, that that's the plan. I'll go where life, that's the plan, that I will journey this as it, as it happens. I, I don't need every step chosen beforehand. Everything doesn't have to be strategic. Gosh, it sounds so much better when you say it. <laughs> That when I say it, <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, uh, I have gone through phases in my life where I'm super organized and super planned, but I don't tend to like it. I like to be a little bit more right-brained or crazy right-brained and pretty much my entire life, it goes that way and it doesn't always work. Sometimes I've messed up a lot, but you know, well, you know, but that's, maybe it, but here's the thing, the people who strategically plan out every move and every decision is based on, I'm going to do this, 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 they fail too. They have major bombing. So the idea that, well, I live ad lib and some things fail, they didn't fail because you went ad lib. They failed because some things failed, right? And people who plan everything now, didn't, it didn't fail because they overplanned. It's because some things fail. Some things are not good ideas and we try them. So why not live the life that fits your system? You're an ad lib system. Other people are structure system. I find it weird when people say, well, geez, if Brad was more structured, and no one's ever said this to me, but someone who is not structured, they say it about. If this person was more structured, imagine what they could do. Well, no, if that person was more structured, they probably wouldn't be the success they are today because they'd be, they would be fighting themselves all the time. I'm telling you, you're like my branding expert. I'm just going to have you walk <laughs> around with me going, no, Brad, you're not screwing up. You're living your life to its fullest. Do you feel you're that? Do you, life. do you feel at times you need more structure because you ad-lib? Uh, no, I do think I do think there's sometimes a a, a cost to you know to, to live in your life like shit. I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. What'll be it'll be fine. 
But on the other hand, for me, the benefits are better. And also, it just the other way stresses me out, and this way it makes me more fun. Right. Uh, also, I think there's a monetary cost too, which used to bother me a lot. I used to, when I was younger, like just kind of coming into this job, I was really focused. I mean, I was because I I had some. I had three kids that were young that I wanted to put in college. That was a major, major stressor. And and now I feel like I'm willing to leave some money on the table because I just hate some of that stuff. And I'm willing to not be uh, to achieve at that level because it doesn't interest me to do that thing. So, you know, and I'm willing to not do this and that because I just hate that. So in some ways, I've grown up a little bit and feel like, oh, and also happily been, I feel a little bit more financially secure. Well, I think there's I think there's so many lessons for people listening because I think some people listen and they're that person who says I'm not structured I'm not this and by everything in America system I don't fit because I'm not out there aggressively doing everything imaginable to make more money in my business or on my mission and that's why that's why I wanted you on because I think we all I think there's a fit for your own system and you're an incredible example of that. Now to be fair, you're brilliant at what you did and what you do on stage. And if you weren't, those calls wouldn't come in. And if those calls didn't come in, you might be forced back into, I gotta, I gotta, 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 gotta. So you're in a place where the calls come in because of your brilliance. So that's where I, I always say to people, if Brad wasn't his truest self, that brilliance doesn't come out. It, yeah, gets, but it me, gets filtered. Let me argue with you a little bit. You're very I like you because you make me feel good. You're good for my self-esteem, but I think you're wrong. I I'm darn good at what I do on stage, but I wasn't born that way. I did have some um you know, personality tendencies that enabled me to be good on stage, but I was horrible on stage, like horrible. It wasn't a, like a natural brilliance. It was I feel like I'm a blue-collar performer and blue-collar speaker, meaning I go and hammer the crap out of it until it starts to work. And it wasn't fast. It was freaking slow. I oh, lost dis- By the way, we're not disagreeing. I think right. that I think that's critically important. But you, you but were I would willing. Hate someone, to- I would hate it if someone was listening, going, "Oh, well, it's good for him because he's good to be on stage." Well, yeah, but I'm, you busted your butt to get there. You, yeah, you, you honed that craft nonstop to get. So where that's you why I'm a little. Be. I'm a little shy about the word brilliance. I feel like. You know, I, I spent a lot of time doing it the wrong way, trying to figure out how to do it the right way. Yeah. And it, I, 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 you and I have seen speakers who go out there very early in their career and they kill it. There's something in them. They just kill it. I was never that guy. I was a guy who had to keep hammering it until I started to get better. Yeah. And, but you hammered it through your gift. You did hammer it through your gift, right? That your ability to make people laugh and smile and tell stories that way. That's what you kept hammering through. And that's what I'm saying is that you can take that gift. And if you're willing to work it and you did work it and, and you struggled, you did not just pop out of the gates. We, you and I have talked about this. I mean, you were all over the place as far as I'm on the college scene. I'm on this scene. I'm trying to, before you ever were getting booked by major corporations to speak to thousands, this was a rough road. Uh, at what point, how many years in did you realize, Hey, I am good at this. I don't know what day is it. <laughs> I mean, let me see. Now that doesn't well, mean you don't have to keep working. I think sometimes people hear me say that, like, "Well, I'm good at this," and oh, you don't think you're, you're all that great? No, 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 no. There's a big difference in saying I'm good at this and I need to keep working, which is what we should be saying at all times. I'm amazing at this and I need to keep working. 
but when did you know when you looked in the mirror and go, I have something here? My, this work I've put in is, has paid off. There's something here. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to uh, probably be unlike everyone you've ever had on this program because I'm more neurotic and insecure. I, I tend to think all of us are insecure. And I'm insecure, which means there's times all the time where I think the same thing we all think as humans. Am I good at this? Are they listening? Is this adequate? Do I belong? We always have that. So there yes. was definitely never a day, Mike, when I went, <laughs> but the doom, I'm in. No, no, no. I don't so, mean that. I mean where you can have all those insecurities, which we all do have. We all have the imposter syndrome in us. We all have all of that. That's part of who we are. But that day where you did look in the mirror and go, something feels like it's turned the corner here, that, I, that I'm on a path I maybe questioned I could ever get to. Yeah. Was, was, there, was that five years in, 10 years in, where you felt no, you turned but, the corner? Um, I don't know if it was a magic time, but there was a, a process. And honestly, we are both part of the National Speakers Association. There's something very generous about being able to be on stage in front of your peers. And then we worry, oh, we worry about that. And then when people I really admired said, hey, Brad, I think you're making it. You're, this is good. Oh, that was like, that was really nice. So I don't know. That happened over a, a few times. But to have people say, yes, Brad, this is, this is what a speaker looks like. You're, you're doing it. We, we laughed at you. That's what, that's what we wanted. You know what I love about that, Brad, is your authenticity and the fact that you said I needed the feedback. I needed people to tell me I was good. I, I struggled with the same thing of... Yeah, but am I as good as them? Or the comparison game. And in our industry, it's so easy to fall into because it's one-on-one performances, right? You in front of an audience. And when you speak at the National Speaker Association, 2,000 other speakers are sitting there going, bring it on. That's what we think in our head, right? <laughs> bring it on, buddy. I know. Uh, yeah, and yet many of them are sitting there going, rock it, Brad, rock it. But we fear the one who says, bring it on. And we do that in that, that that authentic self you just shared of, I needed my peers to tell me I was good to feel that. I, well, I think we yeah. all seek that. I think it's why you getting in the Hall of Fame is meaningful because it's, it was the ultimate side of my peers saying, you are one of the best in our industry. And it doesn't mean that some people go, well, Hall of Fame doesn't you know dictate my life because I got in. No, but it felt special. It felt good. Yeah, isn't that funny? So uh, here's it's story time for Brad. Dun, 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 dun. I have heard stories from people who win Oscars and Emmys that um, they get that, and they're the next day they're totally insecure again. They're just completely wondering if they're a good enough actor or actress, and then suddenly they, they get it. Now I'm great, and then they it, it doesn't last. Um, and that was true with being in the Hall of Fame. But there was one lasting effect that has nothing to do with any credential or audience or anything like that. It's all in my head which is I still have crappy audiences because we do, like, you know, you do, we do. Um, and so now, <laughs> I can't believe I'm admitting this. When I'm standing on stage and the audience is, is lukewarm, I, I can every now and then stop and talk to myself and say, yeah, but there's just not that many people who would be better at this than you are. So it's not going great, and this audience is not great. But, you're, you know, this is about as good as it can go. And that, it, that's like a tonic. It's fantastic. Yeah, that's way better than I'm failing. I'm flopping, which is a thought that can come through the head. So instead going, look, uh, I mean, it's like somebody saying, look, they brought me here for a reason. They wanted to hear me. 
right? That's that same kind of mindset. So this might not be the energy I was hoping to get out of this audience, but right. I was the one meant to be here, which is what right. you're saying. I'm the one, there's very few people <laughs> in the world who could do what I do. And that's why I'm in this room right now. Right. And it's right. This, this is rough for me. Yeah. It's not feeling easy for me, but I just can't feel, there's not that many people who do this. So, right. you know, let's go. That's beautiful. I love that as a way to wrap this up, Brad. I, I want to thank you so much for joining us because I, I think what you did is all of us to think it's okay to have those moments where we're questioning ourselves and going, but I'm the one here, right? I'm the one chosen for this at this moment. Uh, and there's a reason for that. And, and that, so that's very powerful. So I want to thank you for all of our listeners to know we'll have your link. I think it's, unless you have a new one that I don't know about, it's bradmontgomery.com. But um, we'll have all of that for everybody to be able to link and to find you. Thank you so much. Here's what I think I've got that other speakers don't have. Uh, When we go to NSA, it made me neurotic for years. It still does. But I hear all these people like, I'm driving to do this. I'm pushing to do this. I have this planned, this action. You know, I'm going to build my business so it's big enough to sell. And I would just go home and go, oh, my gosh, I got to do all that. And finally, I feel like, no, you don't. I can be a practice, not a business. That's fine. Lawyers do it. Why can't I? I don't have to chase everything because I don't want. I don't want to do that, and I, I don't have interest in that. And I can do this, and I don't think we hear that enough from, from, from podcasts like this, from our peers. We always hear about the people who are high achievers achieving more, and we rarely hear people saying like, "Yeah, you, you got to make some choices. You don't have to go off just because you can. Doesn't mean you should." Yeah, I love that. It's one of the things that we do talk about here at the Everyday Mindfulness. We have we have had several people who say, hey, I got to here and decided here's where I want it to be, right? Which is, means I don't need to keep going here. And Scott Stratton t- talked about that, uh, the unmarketing podcast, Scott Stratton. Uh, he talked about that on stage a few years ago, and that's so beautiful. So I think that's really important. Uh, you wrap up with us on that because that's so great. So for everyone listening, remember, go to the show notes. You'll find Brad. If you are listening until next episode, I hope you find mindfulness in today and every day until next time. We appreciate you being a part of our vibrant, oftentimes silly, and always vulnerable community. If you have an idea, a thought, want to sponsor the show, or just want to say hi, send us an email at listen at everydaymindfulnessshow.com and check us out at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Have a joyful, mindful week.